Welcome to People's Church Podcast. How many here have obedient kids? No, I'm serious. How many here have obedient kids? Just raise your hands. Just be proud. I have an obedient kid. How many have obedient kids? All right. So um, <clears throat> we're all kind of in the same kind of department when you're raising a family is that you're going to be dealing with uh, maybe some disobediences at times, and that comes through. Um, I want to tell you a little story to start about uh, obedience, and uh, I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine, and he stuck it in his book, and uh, it's, a sto- it's a story by, just, uh, just about obedience. Let me read it to you. A mother asked her son to take the trash out to the curb for the city to collect it. Without hesitation, the young lad responded. Many parents could only wish their children were that obedient. This boy learned obedience from an early age. Before the mother realized, the boy grew up to become a fine young man. He was now taking courses at the local university and still living at home. How many know that that's not so unusual? He was a blessing to a single mother and always willing and obedient. Whatever his mother told him to do, he ungrudgingly did it. One particular morning, the young man was late for his class, and as he was rushing out the door, his mother asked him uh, <clears throat> to take the trash, the trash can to the curb for the city to pick up. His books in one arm, the trash can in the other, he dashed out the door. He ran across the shaggy lawn, jumping over the tangled hoses left from summer watering, He joined other students on their way to the same university. This all appeared very well, but something was missing and overlooked. When he returned home that evening, for a brief moment, he thought that he was at the wrong address. The lawn was mowed, the hoses were neatly rolled up and put away, the hedges were trimmed, and the entire yard was manicured neatly. He knew no one else could have done this except his busy mother. As the young man hurriedly entered the house, he saw his mother busily preparing for what appeared to be a large dinner. Unexpected company was due to arrive that evening. Feeling badly about his weary mother having to do all that yard work, he said something that indicated his level of maturity. The young man said to his mother that she should have told him to mow the lawn, trim the hedges, and neatly store away the hoses. He emphasized his concern again and again. Just tell me and I will obey. He really meant it. He was totally sincere. All he said was right but incomplete. At that age, why did his mother have to tell him what he should have already known to do? How could he never graduate uh, from needing to be told? He was obedient but had not matured beyond it. He took no initiative to do what needed doing without being told. The young man was still in the mode of needing to be told before he did anything. This is the status of a servant, not a leader. He was still operating in the command and obedience mode. That is acceptable for a growing child, but not for an adult. Why didn't this young man mow the lawn, put away the hoses, trim the heads, vacuum the floors, dust the furniture, and do whatever else needed to be done? Simple. He was not asked to do it or told to do it. 
Unless this young man gets weaned from needing to be told what to do, his success as a future leader will be compromised. Salvation has been fully provided for us by Jesus Christ. A decisive act of faith is required to repent, confess, and believe in initiating salvation. We cannot be forced or commanded to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. We must, make, we must take personal initiative and act on the message. It's totally up to us to make our call. It's an interesting story because it really illustrates what a lot of people think that life is really about or what your Christian faith is about, which is just this word obedience. Which means that you have to always be told to do it, maybe when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, and sometimes maybe even why to do it. I want to spend some time in a particular parable of Jesus that really talks to us about that kind of limited way of living out our faith. This parable was told not long. It was either within Easter week itself or just before the Palm Sunday. Both are recorded in different ways. So it's right in the framework here. The disciples have been walking with Jesus for some time now. And they were basically like command people. When they got command, they did what they were told. And that's how they kind of functioned. But Jesus was soon going to be crucified, resurrected, and then after that, he was going to return to heaven and leave them. And leave them with the biggest job description possible. You're going to go into all the world. You're going to be my witnesses all around the globe. And in essence, they accomplished that because it's said of them, these are the men that turned the world upside down. I was visiting with a, a friend from India recently who is a physio in town here. And as I was visiting at this uh, dinner with him, he was talking about a city that his folks live in, that it's a city where, where it is believed by tradition, it's really solid, that Thomas, the apostle, made it all the way down to India. They even have a place where they say he is buried on the top of this mountain. It's a really incredible story because that is an amazing journey for them to take, especially in those days. So what is it about the disciples that made them one day apostles? What had to change? Here they are left without a bunch of big to-do or how-to lists, and they go ahead and they get the job done. There's a time when obedience is good. There's no question. It has to be the framework, the foundation, the very structure that everything else gets built upon. But where does it lead you? Where does it, opportunity does it create? It, what adventures can be had? So the story that I want to talk to you about is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. And it's a story of a, of a wealthy master. And this wealthy master, he planned this lengthy business trip. He calls his three best servants in and he gives them various amounts of money. And he gives them the responsibility to look after it while he's gone. 
So he basically gives them all of his wealth. He divides it between them. They're called talents is what they're called. Now a talent is not just giving them 20 bucks or 200 bucks or 2,000 bucks. A talent is basically equal to a thousand days of work. Just one talent. It's a denarius. We find it earlier, five chapters earlier. A denarius for a day's a day of work. And a talent is a thousand denariuses. Do you know what that adds up to in, in our world? About 1.4 million in every talent, just one talent given. About 1.4 million Canadian, because I looked up the average wage. And do you know, that's an amazing amount of money. And then, so you've got one that's given one, one that's given two, one that's given five. So from 1.4 to seven million dollars, depending what they possessed at the time. More or less, this is to typify Jesus leaving. And he's setting the disciples up and saying, guys, I'm leaving you with big resource. I'm leaving you with some amazing capabilities. Uh, you got resources. I'm, he uses money in this one because money is, is a world that's so, got such structure we can understand value points very quickly. And he says, I'm leaving you this, but he has left you other things. He has left you the resource of your time and your energy and the giftings and the capabilities that you've got. He has left you your natural wiring. He has left you a lot of very good things, very good things. And the question becomes, what are we doing with that? That is the obvious question. He's gone. He's not there to command us anymore. He's not there to tell us. A thing he didn't tell these guys in this particular distribution moment was that they were being tested. But the end of the story tells us that. They were being tested. Not as servants, per se. But he, was, they, he uses these words at the end for those that really did well. Be a ruler. I want you to come and be a ruler with me. I want you to come and be a partner with me. I want you to come and be, they, he even uses the word king with me. More or less, he's, he's saying, you're gonna be moving from this servant area and taking all of the heart and mind of a servant into very influential roles. And when you take that into influential roles, you're gonna be doing it in partnership right with me. And he's saying, he didn't tell him, you're being tested to see if you're gonna move beyond just an obedience and become a steward of all of the good stuff that I have put in your life. See, the master understood this very, very well. He, evidently, his businesses were probably thriving in this story, doing well. He needed more leaders. The master understood that those that are leaders are self-starters. These are, these are people, they don't need to be told what to do. They evaluate what needs to be done. It's like that young man, I mean, he just couldn't cross over to evaluate what needs to be done. If his mother made the list, he could check off the items on the list and at the end of the day say, I did my to-do list. Oftentimes we can do that even in such important roles as parenting or in marriage, and we can do this. 
We just do the check it off. I did this today. I did this today. The to-do list is not meant to be the end. It is meant to be a structure upon which you get to steward and do some fantastic things because he's moving you, testing you, moving you towards partnership with him. And that's a whole different world. A leader who progresses from a servant, (coughs) excuse me, position, exercises self-motivation. We don't, you know, as Christians, I've I've talked to some mindsets where it just seems like they're kind of just waiting for everything to come down the road. And they're, they're, they're misunderstanding the commissioning of Jesus. These guys went out and they changed the world with the message that he left with them and used all of the resources that he had given them and built into them. They didn't just stand and turn in a circle. They instead went about all of what they needed to do and they displayed a character worthy of trust earlier. They're given the trust and now they go and do something with the trust. The master had left no instructions in this story. We're gonna read it in a minute and you'll see it, but I wanna tell you it first. The master left no instructions. How would they know what to do if they're gonna stay in just a servant at that role, in that role of just servant? They must take the heart and the mind of the servant now and place it into a role that is moving towards partner. So they operated as servants by command and instruction. They would need now to think for themselves, those disciples. They would need now these guys that were given this money. They would need now to make decisions and be accountable for those decisions. They would need to take personal initiative. And they would need to do something with what they had been given and what they had, God had placed in their charge. And they could not just sit back and say, well, you didn't leave me a to-do list. You didn't leave me just a way that I would know this is what I'm supposed to do and I'll check off the list and when you come back, here it is. He left it to their personal initiative, to their own motivation, and he said, you go and I want you to do some thinking, I want you to do some decisions, and I'm gonna be bringing you accountability. You know, sometimes when we're praying, it seems like heaven may not be answering. But maybe there's a little good truth here to understand when that's happening. Sometimes heaven is waiting for action. Sometimes heaven is waiting for him to actually trust you and say, come on, let's just do this. Get moving. We can't sit and wait for something to happen or wait for others to make it happen That is not good enough because each of them would be evaluated individually. They would be, their lives and their decisions and their thinking would be tested and it would be, the results, the fruit of that would be judged. He would be making the accountability. So after a lengthy absence, the master returns. These three servants are called to give an account of how they had managed the talents, the great sums of money. This time it was not an accountability of their obedience. That had already been tested. You see, when he first called them, he says, he's given them to his servants that he's tested, he's tried. As servant, they've passed. They're good on the to-do list. 
They passed. That's why I gave them the money. So they were first proved as good servants. But now he's not testing whether they're good servants. He would never have given them the money if they were not. Instead, now he is testing. He's testing their motivation. He's testing what motivates them. See, if if his love for the master and the pleasure of the master, they're going to do whatever is needed so that when the time of accountability comes, they know that they have exercised their stewardship really well and that they've done everything to make sure he would be pleased because they love him. He's testing their motivation. What are you motivated by? A to-do list can hide very selfish motivations. Selfish motivations like comfort. A to-do list is sort of just that checklist. And, and, and that can hide things, folks. And we need to be aware of that in our lives. We've been called to a little higher responsibility and stewardship of what God gives us. There was no list for these guys. They had to come up with their own to-do list as leaders, as leaders. Left with all of these resources and they had to figure out how they could please their master with what they had been left. It is his, he owns it right from the start. It's his money, it's his talent, it's his millions. And he wants to know what they're going to do with what he is leaving them. So he calls them, the guy with the five talents, he comes and he's done what he should do. He went out and he actually doubled it. And the guy with two talents did the same. You see, they took risks. They invested. They stepped out of their usual servanthood checklist. Both were promoted to rulership. Partnership. Come, be, come into partner, be a partner of mine. And they would never again regress to servanthood again. Not status, not that status. That would never be the limit anymore. Now their servanthood was fleshed out in leadership. They were leading their homes, they were leading in their community, they were leading in their businesses, they were leading in their friendships, they were leading. They were thinking. They weren't just going through checklists. Their minds and their, and their wills were engaged in pleasing the master. Now the one talent guy, his turn comes. And man, did he ever get whacked. He really did. But he started off blaming the master. Attacking the master's character. You say, oh, man, I, I, knew, I know that you're a hard man. That, man you sow, uh, you, don't, you, you reap where you don't sow. Like you, you're just a man that if you want it, you get it. You do it. Why? Uh, I dug a hole and I put the money. Can you imagine this? 1.4 million in, a, in the ground. I dug a hole and I put it in the ground. So that I'd have it when you return. So he digs it up when he's called for his accountability. And he brings exactly what the master gave him. 
God doesn't give us things to put into the ground. This is the master's money. This is the master's investment in you. What you have, how you're wired, what you've got, he put there. It's his. Your very life is his. You are called to be the steward of that. So this guy gets really whacked. He punishes them very severely. Takes away not just his opportunity, he takes away the one talent, and guess who he gives it to? The one with 10. But when you understand the master's thinking, you understand what's going on, you understand what his expectations are, of course he would. And if you're a wise person with the money, you would too. And you give it to the one with 10. And then, he doesn't just take that away, he takes away the opportunity of promotion and he also takes away his original position as a servant. A quick review of the servant. He was one of the three hand-picked. There was something the master saw in this servant that the servant, he didn't see in himself. He was actually picked for rulership. Master hadn't made an error in his judgment here. This guy had the ability. His problem was not with ability. The abilities were there. And the master honored that and gave him what he gave him. It was his attitude. What changed the master, or what changed this guy's attitude towards his master? Oh, we really don't know for sure. We get a little indication. The man of fear. We must understand something. The master took away not just his promotion, he took away his original position. Because when you're challenged to present an, a, it, with an advance that you can present, that he presents to you and say, I want you to go forward here. I want you to take risk in this relationship and go forward. I want you to become more of a servant in this relationship. And that way I can take your servanthood and turn it into greater leadership within your relationships. I want you to advance in this. But if we just bury those opportunities... We understand we're taking the life out of the very thing. Inflation works. He was away a long time. What he had put in the ground had now diminished. Oftentimes I think we miss this as believers. The positioning that God has given us. When things are removed from our life like he removed from him in this servant, his servanthood and his opportunity. When he does that, oftentimes it's just simply because of our refusal to go forward and then we think we can go back. Going forward may be difficult at times, but going back is certain spiritual death because God always moves forward. He's never moving your life back to where it was. He's never going to lead you back to where you've come from. He's always leading you on from where you are. He's always promoting forward. Let's go. 
Let's go forward. When we turn and we go back, that's us. And spiritual death comes. And that means that we really aren't, we're not experiencing that life that we read about in John 10, 10. We're not experiencing that. I wonder what turned that servant. Let's just take a little bit of an educated guess. The servant might have took it as an insult that he was given one. And then his other buddy over here was given two and then the other buddy was given five. They would have been a tight group. These are hand-selected, top servants in all of the businesses of this particular man, wealthy man. And I just got one. He got five. He got two. I'm at the bottom of this totem pole. I've never seen myself at the bottom of the totem pole. I thought that I was a great servant. I did everything the master asked me to do. If he said, pick up the hose, I picked up the hose. If he said, cut the grass, I cut the grass. If he said, manicure the hedges, I manicured the hedges. And I just got one talent. Maybe he felt embarrassed among his peers, his friends, or family. And out of that, if that dwells there long enough, bitterness. You know, bitterness and anger, unchallenged in our life, become something of a great... uh, can we say wait? That keeps us from really going forward. And that's why God will deal with it in your life and in mine very aggressively when it's there. There is a message of caution in this man's experience. Don't resist what God intends for you. Don't resist his little nudges forward. Don't resist when you feel him pulling hard to take you to the next step to be better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better parent, to be a better employee, to be a better employer, to be better in your gifts, to get better in all that God has given you. Don't fight the wind, which is planned to make you fly higher. Esau ran from Jacob. If you know the story, I'm sorry, uh, Jacob ran from Esau to a place, as he left, he came to a place called Bethel. It was a, it's called, just means the house of God. He saw on there a, a stairway to heaven, angels coming up, angels coming down, and uh, it, was a, it became a holy place, uh, still is today, considered that. He would never have experienced what he did if he didn't move forward. If he would have stayed and just fought with his brother, Pharaoh pushed Moses into exile. But in exile, he experienced God face to face. He experienced this amazing uh, time with God. And he became a mighty deliverer. Joseph's brothers, 
sold him. But he didn't know it at that time, but he was leaving a place where famine would soon come to be a part of a palace that was plenteous. In fact, he was going to be used to rescue his family who sold him. If the servant with one talent would have dealt with the offense, whatever it may have been, he could have been as successful as his friends, or maybe even more so. It's not how much you got, folks. It's what you do with that. So very many people feel that they've been shortchanged in some area of life. And they see others seemingly a, 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 a favor just more. In fact, David struggled with this. He says, man, the evil seemed to be thriving. And those which are really good people are going through hard stuff. In that, there's a danger to develop a wrong attitude directly toward the Lord. And if you do that, you'll miss what this one talent missed. Let's just take a look at this one talent guy from a view of what could have maybe been possible if he had the right frame of mind. When he was given only one talent, this wasn't the master insulting him. It was actually a compliment. Maybe the master saw such great potential in him that he knew he could accomplish more with one talent than the man with five. What a twist that is on thinking. He had the ability to make 10 out of one, maybe. But we'll never know. See, others required more to reach an intended goal. One needed two, one needed five. Maybe this one only needed a little to produce a lot. See, that's what miracles are. Miracles are not performed with much, but with very little. When there is only an impossible little, God, who makes all things possible, is attracted to that. He always makes a lot out of a little. He never needed much to do a lot. A widow in the Old Testament had meal and oil every morning simply because she obeyed what the prophet said to her to do. Another woman in the Old Testament had her, oil, her jars of oil filled and she was able to sell those jars of oil and make an amazing change to her life. The loaves and the fishes, which we covered last week a little bit, is just something from so little. This is God's work. This is his miracle work. This is his DNA. Jesus is saying that we are never limited with the little we receive. You say there's not, there's just a little left in this relationship. There's just a little left of this, a little left of this in me. There's only a little left. I don't have great talent. <clears throat> I don't have uh, that which seems so overtly talented that other people would say, Ma, you are so talented. 
We're limited when we get the wrong attitude. You may only have a little tiny seed to sow, but God increases, he multiplies it. We've got stories about him breaking nets, fishing, when they caught nothing up to that time. We've got stories of of him filling granaries to overflowing. I think sometimes we're waiting for faith the size of mountains to move seeds the size of mustard seed. And God says, I'll take the faith of a mustard that size and we'll move a mountain. It's not the normal way to think. But since when is the Christian in a normal thinking pattern when it comes to their faith? Because all things now become possible. This guy with one is missing an amazing opportunity. And if a right frame of mind, it would be like, wow, okay, he got two, he got five. With one, I know, I know. Look, master put the confidence in me. He gave me this. He's put confidence in me. I'm one of the three. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna beat those guys. He couldn't get there. He just couldn't get there. He did not have an ability problem. He had an attitude problem that paralyzed God's given potentials. I think very much it's important for us not to insult the master's high expectations of us. He believes you can do more with little than some others will do with much. You say, I've only got a little. Wow, what an opportunity. What an amazing opportunity you have for God's miraculous, supernatural, sovereign presence and power to produce. But you must get out of the blame game, blaming God, blaming others. And you got to take responsibility squarely, just squarely on your own shoulders. And every morning that you get, get up and, and, and don't be so concerned about the size of what you got. In fact, the smaller it is, just see it as a greater opportunity and now begin to move into that opportunity. See, everybody's got a lottery mindset. Fill my accounts, God. Just bring it to me. Just bring it to me. And God's not that wired that way. God is going to say, look, I, I want a little bit of faith from you and we're going to do some pretty big things here. I'll look after the increase, but you have to give me something that more than just a, a checklist that you're checking off. You have to give me something beyond that. You have to give me a willingness to show initiative. You have to give me a, a willingness to do what I need. In fact, there are seven principles, seven principles that I want you to give me. I want you to understand and live in these seven principles. You'll fill in your blanks really quickly. You ready? Number one, ownership. In this story, we find that the first principle comes up is God owns this stuff, like whatever he's put in. So whether it's little, middle, or big, who owns it? God. Who put it there? God. Who gave it to you? God. Whose is it? It's God's. 
Jesus was going on a big trip. Verse 14 of this particular story says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Ownership. The second is allocation. Verse 15, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So he just allocates five, two, one, and he says, you've shown ability here, 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 good. But that one guy, all he needed, just, just faith. See, your abilities is not the end of the story. Your faith is. Accountability. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There is an account settling time. There is. And some of you are thinking, oh, I just wish I would have heard this maybe 10 years ago or when I was younger. And then I could. You're in the investment time now. You are in your window right now. It's not over. You still got all the time you need to do something with whatever you have. You say, but actually, I don't even have much. Great. We've expressed this. That is not a problem. That, in fact, is a great opportunity for faith to match up with your ability. Four is utilization. In verse 16 through 18, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Whose money? His Lord's money. Utilization. One buried it, other two utilized it. They were able to double what they were given. That's a big double in the millions. So the guy was seven, approximately, is around 14. It's not a bad turnover. And another big thing that you got to bring in a principle and live this one out as initiative. If you're walking over uncut grass and stumbling over hoses that need to be wrapped up in life and put away and you have some work to be done in the yard and you've got company coming that night that you might not know of, but you are going to do it because you see it. You trip over it. You have to walk through that grass and you take the initiative and you do something about it. Same, verses 16 through 18. They went and did something. They took initiative. They didn't sit. Three types of fear. Why we don't take initiative. Three types of fear. Self-doubt. I don't have this ability. I can't do that. Self-pity. Tried it. I tried it. Didn't work. I tried it. Self-consciousness. What will they think? What will my parents think? What will my siblings think? What will my friends think? What would they think? The sixth principle is application. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Application means God is going to put his presence, 
his power, his blessing behind the ones that are showing uh, the initiatives, that are taking advantage of things. They've checked off a servant list. They've got a heart and a mind of a servant, but now they're willing to be leader. They're willing to take the risks of thinking and deciding and investing and doing what they can with what they've been given. And that's why he gave the one talent to the guy who has 10. And the final principle is compensation. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Imagine, imagine this. This guy's known nothing but a to-do list. These three have all come from the to-do list world. And then two woke up to the opportunity and said, man, I got some stuff. It might not be much, but I've got some stuff. I can do something here with what the master is giving me. I don't, I'm not afraid of, the, I want to be a partner with the master. So I'm not going to be afraid of the master. I want to be in partnership with him. His Lord said to him, I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Very powerful. Now I know that this particular message it's not going to light you up in the sense of just kind of feel-good message. This is a message to challenge the decisions that you're making about the owner's resources. About the opportunity that is there. Whether your Christian faith is a little bit too much of the checklist. And I've checked off all of the right things. But at the same time, I'm missing the big opportunity in life. John 10, 10, that living that full life is, is not a part of my experience here. Then you need to take up the adventure of thinking, investing, praying, acting, putting things into the risk category, challenging the fears, not letting them rule the day or compensate them in some way and only take a half a step when he's saying take the step. These disciples were about to take on an amazing assignment. They didn't realize it. They, had, they really didn't have a complete picture of what was about to happen. They didn't even know when it happened. They didn't figure it all out until well after things had happened. But there would have been a time in their life where they stood and they looked back and said, oh my gosh. What if we never, ever took up the challenge? What if we didn't go to India? What if we didn't press all over the Mediterranean? What if? And then let me draw it to your families. Your roles in life can be very only just to-do lists. And what your family needs is leaders. Especially in times like this. But that means that you have to take what God has given you. You're always going to feel inadequate as a parent. You're always going to have that feeling like just one short on this. 
That's not the issue. If that turns into hiding or that soft form of bitterness in heart and, and, and exclusion away from what God is challenging you on, then you are just working on a to-do list and hiding where it didn't work out too well on that to-do list instead of seeing it as an opportunity for God to do some remarkable thing and for you to start thinking and praying and believing and even commanding things that need to happen so that you move from just a dad that checks off a to-do list and does pretty good on that list to a dad that attains a certain form of leadership we call godly leadership, which means that you are able to influence them body, soul, and spirit. You didn't just prepare them with good health, good dental appointments. You didn't just prepare them with good education. You didn't just prepare them with good emotional balance. You didn't just prepare them that way. You got to the level of spiritual leadership in their life that they look at you and they have a real picture of how good it is to follow God and how good it is to take what you've got and do something remarkable with it and trust him in achieving great things through you. Oh, it upgrades everything, every role, every opportunity. And it is an adventure. So what can God do? <laughs> the smaller amount you got seems to attract him. It does. We see that with Jesus over and over. He's attracted to those that don't have much. They don't think they have much. And then Jesus comes along and he breaks it up and feeds all kinds. So I would challenge you. I would say, take the little bread and fish you got and go find a big group of people. That might be at your work. That might be in your home. Take what little you got and then move into where he blesses what you're going to do. He blesses this. It's not the amount. He will steward. If you, I mean, he will bless your stewardship. So today, I hope that this reaches a little bit deep in us that says, you know, as I'm in this Easter run, Jesus is walking with a bunch of guys that were fishermen. These are average, no-name guys. Just average, no-name. Doesn't mean they didn't have value. It doesn't mean that they didn't, what they did, they didn't do well. I'm sure Peter was a great fisherman. These no-name guys, Jesus turned into apostles, leaders of a movement that still today is capturing the world. Now, I know that's big, and it's taken a couple thousand years to get here, but let me say this to you today. Just in your own realm, he's constantly wanting and testing you to see 
Will you move beyond the to-do list in this? And will you move into partnership? Will you go and risk and invest? Will you take fear out of the driver's seat? Will you allow me to increase your life? Because that's what the resurrection is all about. He has come to bring us life and life in all of its fullness. He wants that life to be something that we live out and bring great joy and rejoicing in our lives because we see his hand, we experience his blessing, and we see what he does and we can look at it and we can say, oh my gosh, look what he did with just this little bit in our life. Look at what he is doing. Look at how he is blessing. God blesses. Not where you have much. He blesses where you have little and you need him. Let's stand together. Father, as we bow our heads before you today, we might feel like we just don't have a whole lot. We might feel like we burned everything good in our lives even. We might feel, Lord, that what was good is long gone. We might feel, Lord, that we were behind the door when they were passing out these kinds of gifts. We just didn't get it. But we did. We may have the one, the two, or the five. In essence, the one has been given the greater Opportunity, in a way, for faith. And I pray that wherever we're at on this gift list, blessed list, the resources that we have, that we would just say, you're the owner. I'm going to do everything I can to please you because I love you. And I am not going to just be a to-do list. I did the right thing so that when you come back, I can give you back what you gave me. But I want to bring to you the offering that I can create for you. I can go and multiply. I can take initiatives. I can think and I can dream and I can go forward with this and you can do amazing things and I get to bring this stuff to you and say, thanks for the opportunity. I just return this. And you, Lord, without us really recognizing it, are preparing us for partnerships. You want, to be the, you want us to be partners in our families, in our businesses, in our place of work. You want to be partners in our ministries and how we serve other people. You want us, you want to be, be partners with us and us with you. And I pray, Lord, that we would see that and know that servanthood is the character and the foundation, but it is not the end game. It must become servant leaders. We're now leaders. Help us to grab this, O oh Lord. May the Holy Spirit enlighten us, challenge us. May our hearts respond by setting some new investments for what you've given us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.